0: This. this this is, is, this this is, is, is diversified yeah. game game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. Tyson. When you're going against the odds,
1: you've got to be creative, you've got to innovate, you've got to stand out.
0: And AL.
1: Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses.
0: So let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. Tyson
1: here. And today we have a guest. And, Kel, who is it?
0: Today we have Jeremy Siegel, who we met at in Orlando in podcast, podcast, video, podcast, yeah. blah, 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 yep. blah. And um, we started talking, and Jeremy has a very interesting story. Boom, that's my pause, people. I finally did it because Tyson gets to me. <laughs> Jeremy, welcome welcome to the show, um Diversified Game. Can you tell the people? Um, you know, because what Jeremy does, and it was amazing, he sells cars, expensive cars that are 25 years old that come from Europe, and they're like cars that we see are used to see every day and sometimes you don't see him anymore but his cars are beautiful so i want uh, him to tell us the story behind how he got into selling these uh vintage cars um in america for a premium price
2: sure uh first of all thanks for having me on the show kellen and tyson look forward to uh talking with you guys as far as how i got into this niche car dealership um Basically, there's a car called the Nissan Skyline GTR. It's popular in the Fast and Furious and uh, com- computer games, video games scene. Uh, it's popular because they had the Toyota Supra in the U.S., which most people are familiar with. And the Nissan Skyline GTR is uh, Japan's version that was sort of a little bit a step up from the Supra. It was all-wheel drive instead of rear-wheel drive and had a six-cylinder twin turbo just like the Supra. So a really high-end performance car back in the day. And in the US, uh, there's an exemption rule for EPA and NHGSA saying that when a car is 25 years old, it's exempt from emissions and safety requirements. And Mm -hmm. the Nissan Skyline GTR uh, became eligible for import in August of 2014, which is the first month and year, uh, because they were made in August of 1989. So the first month and year it was manufactured. We found one in Canada. Uh, that was um, made the first month in the year. So then Canada has a 15-year rule. Uh, when a car hits 20, 15 years, you can import into Canada, whereas US is 25. Uh, so at the midnight, I crossed the border, brought the car in, and it was really just to flip the car, have some fun with it. Uh, but at that time, I was like, well, I might as well build a website, build a brand, make it look like a business. And so I did that, and uh, just got a bunch of media attention from it. It was published on Yahoo, uh, ABC Action News came to us and wanted to do a piece on us. And from there, we just uh, found uh, a guy named Yoshi in, in Japan, and we sent him some money, crossed our fingers he didn't steal it, and we got a couple of cars shipped to us. And then from there, it was just history. We just kept doing it. Uh,
1: so, I mean, so not a calculated shot in the dark is what we'll call that, right? You just, you kind of paid attention to the regulations knew that this car was uh, you know kind of made popular especially with like the movie hype around it um and then uh took a shot with you know sending money to to someone that you didn't necessarily know but uh trusted gut instinct based on that sounds like a sounds like a calculated uh investment right that that's yeah that's really what yeah, it boils most of down my to.
2: Yeah, most of my ventures and businesses that I've done in the past are, I do them in a way that's sort of a low-risk entry into an emerging market. And that's sort of what this was. It was a low-risk entry, about one car flipped it, and it was emerging market because before 1989, there wasn't really a lot of exciting cars to be brought into the U.S. But at, starting at 89, you get the skyline. And then as time progresses, you have Silvias, you have Supras, NSXs, RX7s, all these classic Japanese sports cars that in the early 90s, mid 90s, and then coming into the late 90s in the next few years, uh, it's just, you know, it's an emerging market. So
1: now, how do you uh, navigate and, and find those cars? I mean, is it kind of like, um, I forget what those guys are called, but they go and, and they just pretty much rummage people's stuff, or is it a little bit more calculated um where you where you search for your inventory?
2: Uh it's a it's a mix. Um well we've got similar to the US, you've got Mannheim and other kind of auctions that you can go to, to to purchase cars as a dealer. Uh we've got access to auctions in Japan we buy from private parties such as their version of Auto Trader or Craigslist. And then we also can like dig around and try to find some private party people there too so it's a it's a a range depends on what we're looking for and what kind of deal we're looking to get but we can buy anything from private parties from the individual person all the way to just buying it at an auction or from a dealer
1: and what's the normal like say work that has to be done to the cars i mean or is there like a is there a persistent like issue that comes with the cars that you constantly have to kind of manage or um, are they typically pretty much in, like, you know, mint condition, and you're able to just take them and turn them around?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, so Japanese culture is different from the U.S. culture in that they really take care of their cars. Uh, when I've been to Japan and gone to car auctions and met with our contacts since starting the business. Uh, and as you're going around the country, you'll notice that every car is washed. They're all clean well maintained. There there it's really strict laws out there for for managing maintaining your car. So you're not seeing cars blasting smoke in the air and being you know having a flat tire going down the road. It's it's the cars there are very well maintained. So just in general you're gonna have uh less extreme things than if you were gonna buy a twenty five year old US car. And mm. you know, through the process there's little pains that come up. Like sometimes we'll get cars that that show up the port and they'll have some dirt in the tires. And because it has the dirt, it gets delayed because they have to go through go through all the rigorous uh, inspections. And so you'll get some unexpected delays in that regard. And then sometimes you'll get a car and you thought it was perfect and you get it. And then as a, a blown engine, it needs a new head or it needs something major with it. And then sometimes you think a car is gonna be and and junk condition and it shows up and it's immaculate so you know you're buying a car from the other side of the world and you can't always know what to expect (laughs) okay kind of reminds me
1: a little bit of um uh tom cruise uh rain man like you know they were moving the moving the cars back and forth um and they had to keep making like, yeah. excuses of it being held up, but like, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And I actually, so I've grown to the point where I actually manage it remote. So it's the business itself is in a different city than where I live. And that allows me to take a step back from the day-to-day operations.
0: And that was the part that when we were just talking, I was like, I love it. I love it because anything you can do remote, you can do, you know, you can do remote, do it anywhere in the world. And you talk about, you know, this other ventures. Can you kind of tell us how you got into business and how long you've been doing this? Because one thing we try to do at Diversified Game is give the game. And I always think about the 14-year-old kid who is listening, saying, well, okay, that's great. He has you know, money to buy $25,000 cars, but how do I start? So, you can kind of talk about like maybe your different ventures and how you started getting into business.
2: Yeah, sure. Um I mean, I've always known I wanted to be an entrepreneur from a young age, and I always aspired to be uh, a CFO of a company because that's what I determined at a young age that had the skill set that I wanted to have in order to be a successful entrepreneur. So on my radar from a young age, I wanted to be a CFO, chief financial officer, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So, I mean... I've got stories from back to kindergarten. My grandma tells me I was selling erasers to other kids for a nickel. And by middle school, I was selling pennies on eBay or Yahoo auctions for a penny plus a dollar shipping. So I was making 70 cents for every penny, you know, after putting an envelope and putting a stamp on it. Um, You know, Pokemon cards came out. I was playing around with Pokemon cards and you could literally buy a pack of Pokemon cards and take this whatever the worst star card that comes in that in that deck and get more than 3 bucks so you're guaranteed to at the time you make more by opening the deck and just selling what's inside than to sell the deck or or buying it from the from the street so i've always mm-hmm. had this kind of mindset as far as like trying to find trends or opportunities and then uh capitalizing on that um you know one of my early earlier businesses uh I was making these Halloween masks. And the way I found out about it was I was just looking online and then me and a buddy, we got together and we said, let's, at the end of this weekend, we need to have a business that we can afford to start and we and we have to be able to start the execution of it. And we had a weekend to figure it out. And we just had zero idea what we were going to start. It just had to be something. And as we dug online, we saw that there's some guy making these uh, masks that he would put uh, heat-sensitive paint on, and so as you breathe, it created this changing effect on the face. And uh, we we looked into it, and the guy had tons of people that were saying, "Hey, like I want to buy this mask," and the guy wasn't fulfilling demand. And so we thought, okay, well, there's demand for these masks. This guy isn't scaling up; he's just a one-man shop, and he doesn't seem like he cares to scale up. So we saw an opportunity. And as we started drilling into it, we uh, we saw, okay, well, we need to paint pigment because it's a unique paint. You have to get this heat sensitive paint. And as well, as I was looking at that, the pigment was expensive. And I was thinking, well, if the pigment's expensive, like maybe we can get the pigment cheaper. So then I look on, you know, go to Alibaba and try to go to look at China and see where we can get the pigments and find out we can get the pigments for much cheaper than you can buy online. So then at the end of the weekend, we had Two ideas that we could execute on, we bought some pigment from China. We bought a bunch of jars, created labels, we're using Microsoft paint you know all basic stuff <laughs> and and then just packaged up the pigments, put it on Amazon, built a little website, and started selling the pigments, which I bought at the time. I bought about three thousand dollars worth of pigments that I knew would turn into about twelve thousand dollars in sales and it 'd be about three uh, nine thousand dollars in profit and that doesn't include the the masks, and, and when we created the mass, uh, there was such high demand because it was about two months away from Halloween. We sold 10 grand worth of masks in the first month. So we just had to go to, we went to seven Joanne fabrics and bought all the fabric and we bought two sewing machines and we we're just literally just making masks to fulfill the hmm. So I think that there's opportunities anywhere. I mean, if you're 14 years old, it's just look into what you are comfortable with and what you are interested in and just, keep an eye out for opportunities because there's opportunities everywhere.
1: You know, my uh, oh, that's my that's first oh Go but yeah, I was going to say my my first entrepreneurial journey was uh back around the the age of uh 14 um 15 where my friend and I started doing like airbrushing and that was kind of our gateway into entrepreneurship airbrushing people's sneakers and t-shirts and things like that. And I am selling them in school. So, you know, starting at a young age is, is definitely cool. But, I mean, to pick CFO Pro- as a skill set was, was like, you, you really were, like, nailing it. <laughs> the, the dollars make it happen, you know? Well,
0: yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, – it, it, Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're the guest. We came to hear you.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, if you're tackling, like for me, my, I feel like expertise is finding uh, opportunities in the market from in emerging markets and emerging markets sort of happen fast, but they can go away fast at the same time. So, you know, you just have to find what kind of thing that you're comfortable with. Do you want something slow to then that can build momentum and give you some kind of recurring revenue? Or do you want to like ramp up real quick? and you know, some of the things I did early on was just to ramp up real quick. I didn't want to have to wait because I had no money. Like my, the $3,000 that I had to start the first business was literally every cent that I had at the time that I dumped into making those pigments and mass. Like that was the all my extra cash. So, mm. you know, you just got to work with what you got. Right.
0: And And for all the parents, you've heard two entrepreneurs tell their great stories, how they, you know, wanted to do this at a young age, so I always tell people, support your kids, their crazy ideas, maybe your retirement in the future. Because I, too, started at a young age, and this person has no relation, and they spell their name totally different than our guest, Jeremy, but I wanted to be Bugsy Siegel. Um be, because I love being the house and I would bring the dominoes and the card games to the middle <laughs> school and I'd be the house and allow you to buy in at five dollars and that would be recess. So um we all start at a young age. Um, you know, I, that that, that single <laughs> dream of, of, of Vegas and, and you know right. uh, um running things, um, you know, I still I still have different type of goals in, in that. And I like to run, you know, various businesses with a heavy hand. But, um, you know, who put that entrepreneur drive in you? Did you see your dad, your mom, grandmother? Who was the entrepreneur or who inspired you?
2: Sure. Um, I guess you could say my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he, he was more of an, an engineer, and he would develop products. And he, he created a successful product. Uh, But through his entrepreneurial journey of founding this business, he had to go to investors, get more investment, and then get more investment, and then it would get acquired a couple times. So he built this successful business, but at the end of the day, he had a nice salary and no ownership in it. So he never got his big payout. And for me, Mm. watching him go through that journey, I always thought, like, I don't really want to make the same mistakes he did. So I may have held myself back. In in many occasions by not taking on maybe partnerships or investors for certain scenarios, but uh, you know, I would rather bootstrap things just because I saw the other extreme, which is, you know, you can start something and build a, a very successful business and then end up with, you know, not too much at the end of the day. Right. The famous Amos kind of story
1: uh, a little bit there. Um, now, what i mean and can you dive further into what exactly was it that um your dad made at that time or
2: or is that like proprietary stuff? no it's i can tell you basically um this was you know before cell phones before people knew what even gps was but he he was making ankle bracelet tracking devices for criminals so people Mm -hmm. that were in maybe in prison or jail that didn't need to be in jail because it wasn't that big of a deal they could either go on house arrest, which would like just rest- make sure that they're in the proximity of their home during certain hours, or you could have this ankle bracelet tracking device, which started out as uh, a- an anklet on your ankle, and then you had to carry around a briefcase, like a heavy briefcase. I mean, this is oh. back in the day. You know, he's, he's got patents around that kind of stuff. So fast forward to to, to uh, more recently, you know, he's the the business was acquired multiple times when it was acquired. Uh, by 3M at at some point and then just divested from 3M recently. Um, And then in the most recent divestiture, uh, he was uh, led off by the venture capital company. So it was him and one of the guys that were still the original founders that had been there for like over 25 years uh, with the business. Um, But they, they, so now they're like sort of working on round two. And this time with, with the goal of trying to retain some of that ownership. So they've pivoted a bit and they're working on a, a, a project where they can try to track cell phones in prisons and they've got some technologies that they're, they're working with, with that. Working on. Nice. So, I mean, I yeah. want to
1: say a quick lesson to people is it's never, never too late to pivot. Like that's, um, yeah. That's, I mean, after 25, you know, plus years and that, and then just kind of, you know, redirecting. Um, so your dad still has that, still has some fire in there, which, uh, bodes well for where, yeah. where you're heading right i mean <laughs> you sound like you may be uh your father's uh son a little bit in that regard so that's 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 good um and now yeah, how many businesses still going. yeah how many how many businesses would you say you've uh dipped in um made money dipped out or like before you you found what your most recent venture is like because oftentimes people just tell the story like the business they they're currently in was like the it so um tell people a little bit about that story like how many before you you were like yeah this the skyline one is is hidden
2: yeah um i mean i guess it depends on what you consider business everyone has different definitions mm-hmm. for me because i always aspire to be a cfo of a company i Never really identified as being an entrepreneur until I was able to achieve that goal, which I became a CFO of a 130 employee, about $25 million company when I was 25, uh, because that was just my narrow-minded goal to hit that. And during that, I was still doing like little ventures, like uh, when Paracord was popular, I had a friend making Paracord uh, bracelets. And I had had an idea to make the, the charms for those, like their shoe charms, and you can just like get printer paper and, uh, or uh, picture paper and print little logos on it. And then I got a little plotter that you could put, it cuts little circles out and glue them inside the charm and put epoxy on it. And uh, I mean, we were getting, we got up to about 3,500 a month in sales just for some charms and paracord bracelets. And then after that was uh, the the pigments and the mass. Um, but even then I, I didn't identify as an entrepreneur even at those moments because I was holding myself back. But after I was a CFO, my first business that I saw myself and identified as an entrepreneur was like a drone accessory business. It was back when the DJI Phantom original came out and started making accessory, first started off by testing the market, you know, low entry tests. So I bought some propellers for the, the Phantom on Alibaba, got them imported and then Put them on eBay and sold $2,000 worth of propellers in the first week of just one product, no brand, no nothing, just testing the market. And it was like, okay, well, there's demand here. And then from there, well, what other things can I add or what other custom products can we build? And just sort of built a business out of that and actually built it up over a two year period to a point where I was able to sell it. And then after that, I put that money into this car dealership. Okay.
1: So we're looking at one, two, three maybe like four four before yeah get into this point even though you didn't really identify i mean you you were you were starting things um generating uh revenue and then you know um and that that sounds like a business to me right
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i don't know if you consider like Selling pennies for a dollar or Pokemon cards or like yeah, I, even, I mean, when, when I was a kid, my parents would take me to Walmart and I'd take pictures of stuff on the shelf and then put it on eBay. And when I sold it, I would ask my parents to drive me to Walmart to go pick it up. I did that until Walmart was sold out of the item I sold. And then I'd like email the guy like, oh, sorry, like I don't have what I just sold you. And I just to that. But <laughs> the
1: early version of drop shipping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, is <laughs> drop shipping with the
1: Walmart as no, the the warehouse—that's that's that's hilarious. That's, like I love stories like that because, um, you know, again, like Helen said, like p- people look at their kids and they often just look like, oh, that's a phase or or whatever, and really it's the early signs of like what's to come. And and you were you were thinking outside of the box on what I like to call things you can't Google. Like, at at that time, you know, there was no, like, precedent for someone probably as young as you were, um, and particularly maybe, like, in your parents' view that was doing something like that. So when you did it, it was like, uh, you know, it's kind of cool that they... Seemed like they supported you in doing such, you know. Drive can you drive me to Walmart yeah. so I could go grab that because I just sold it?
0: Like, <laughs>
1: like that's like that's hilarious. It's like, what is my kid doing? I don't know, but he's uh, he's bringing in some money, so <laughs> we're about to hit Walmart real quick.
2: <laughs>
1: that's just hilarious. Like, um, so just yeah, again, parents like do those as signs if your kid's trying to be productive and innovative and it may not be something that you can easily see right like um but i mean it can end up being you know jeremy years later selling uh tens of thousands of dollars uh for one car you know just being able to turn a profit that way so um what things have you been able to do um and change in your life through this business um i
2: mean for me I I had a big self-exploration moment when I actually became an entrepreneur and had a sustainable living because I was like, this has been my life goal. Like, first part of the goal was to be a CFO of a company. Second part was to be an entrepreneur. And now I've got this sustainable income from entrepreneurship. Now what, right? Like, I'm at this like loss. For, and i've and it took me about year. It's still something I battle with, but it's been like a year and a half, two years I'm just like, you know, like streamlining and still scaling stuff but like my purpose has been like being questioned and so that's one reason why i met you at a podcast festival is because i'm looking to start a podcast and not necessarily for anything that's going to make me money just for more of like a passion project but i would say like what it what this has given me was um an opportunity to like create the lifestyle that i want you know especially since i'm managing my business remote at this point Uh, I I go down to my car dealership maybe a week every two months on average right now. And um, aside from that, like, you know, I I like, I like traveling. I like having the flexibility to work my own hours, you know, sometimes working a nine to five, like I, I couldn't get my most productivity out of myself because you're like rigid into that, that sort of timeline. Right. But as an entrepreneur, you can wake up in the middle of the night. If you have an idea or, or, immerse and like work really hard for a couple days and then take like three or four days off and take that days off during the week because it's nice taking days off during the week because everything's empty and you know there's no traffic and you can work around all that
0: yeah
1: that's kind of probably one of my favorite things is like uh going and like eating at a place and and knowing i'm not going to have to wait forever for a table like just going getting the seat set and like taking your time to slow down every once in a while um, even if it's just, you know, for those few hours sitting at a restaurant and just sipping, you
0: know, um, yeah. you know, I love that. I love that. Um, Jeremy tapped into something though. He said he's uh still searching, um, for his purpose, which a lot of people, you know, okay, making money, um, that's great, but w- whenever we speak and, and Jeremy, my purpose is creating entrepreneurs and young people especially um young men because it's easy for me as a man to find women who are want to be ambitious i mean i'm kind of good at that you can ask my wife and she'll say yeah and all his (laughs) girlfriends and everything else right i'm 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 good at find. i can find women but young men sometimes because men don't get the support um Uh, that, you know, they need to progress, even if you think as adults, and you're, you know, when you're dating, whatnot, and you have these ideas, it'll be someone close to you, a woman, whether it be your mother, whether it be your girlfriend, and kind of put doubt and say, are you sure you should do that? And it's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you, and I'm looking for support. So that's my purpose is entrepreneurs and, and helping people. I wrote my first book, the same way that I just explained the 14 year old I wrote it for a 14 year old to take become a star in the uh, Christian music industry, or at least make a living, but ask yourself, why are you even doing this? Is it to be famous? Is it to you know because you may be someone who just wants to give away music and really go out there and just preach, and that's your purpose. but in what do you do? that you find yourself the most happiest, you know, when you're not thinking about money that you're like, whoa, I'll do this for free all day. Have you, have you found that piece of your purpose?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I like what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. I think a lot of young kids out there need that because they don't have that support network or anyone reassuring them that what they're doing is something that they should be or can be doing. So I, I like that you're doing that um for me w- 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 it sort of comes down to probably a couple different things but I-, I like helping people it's just like early in my entrepreneurial days i was helping people a little bit too much and my, to my detriment and now that i feel like i at least have a sustainable living and and life um from what i've accomplished i can start helping people again and I love doing business strategy sessions with people, uh, especially in, in immersive environments. Like I could just, you know, go, so, go talk to somebody who hasn't a struggle or an idea with their business and just help them with a leap in mindset and, and getting to the next phase or wh- wherever they need to go with that. And the other piece of it is like, for me, being on this podcast is something that's very outside my comfort zone or, or outside, like my character, I guess you could say, because um, I'm a super introvert. When I started my businesses, like even while my business was featured on ABC Action News, I got a buddy of mine to come and be the person of the business for the interview because I didn't want to be getting the attention. So like I right now in this moment have pretty much no personal social presence other than LinkedIn because that's useful for entrepreneurship. And now I'm going through this transition of starting this podcast, which I've done five interviews now with other influencers And it's called Why Influence, W-H-Y Influence. Um, And I'm interviewing influencers about their why and why they're doing it and what's their motivations, because that's something I've always struggled with, which is sharing my personal journey and sharing my personal wisdom. But I feel like the world's missing out because, you know, I've, I've started built and sold businesses. I've been through the whole process. You know, I've accomplished a lot. I feel like I have some wisdom worth sharing and I'm not sharing it. I don't post on social media. I only interact with people physically. I don't really have that many phone calls with people. So, you know, I'm, I'm going through this transition and that's the, the idea behind my podcast. And it's more of like a, a personal thing. It's not really meant to make money. It's just that I want to help inspire other people that are out there that aren't influencing or aren't sharing their wisdom or knowledge to start sharing it. Okay.
0: Nice. Okay so that's no, that that's awesome. that's awesome <clears throat> well well, he said something tyson you can relate to with uh tyson mentors entrepreneurs for free mm-hmm. um in his um and he he lives near cape Cod and he you know he mentors entrepreneurs but but also in in what you said in that 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 mentoring in the social media, man, I can't wait to get off social media. Personally, like we, for our business, you know, we have people posting, but, um, you know, I want to at most give my stuff and say, you guys do whatever. Cause I have people like Tyson in my life who are like, wait, social media is corny first of all. And he's like a social Mm -hmm. media expert. That's all he does. And then he'll (laughs) say, Kellen, why are you so impatient in social media? You got to post everything at once. And it's because I really don't care, but I'm doing it for inspiration and I'm, you know, whatever that may be in life, but I don't care like how many followers, I just want to put it out there. Uh, and so let someone else do that. And we have people who, who can do that for us. But Tyson, tap into, because you can relate to, social media yeah. is corny now. It's like Black Mirror. Yeah. And then also the entrepreneur piece that you do. Because for all I know, Jeremy might have the same thing in his now, city that that might interest him. Now,
1: you know what's, what's funny, uh, telling it to me, I mean, is I was – a a huge proponent for like social media. Right. Um, that's, I mean, that's literally how we built our business was social media. And then uh, I think the last time I posted was like April of 2017. Um, like, so I, I had around like 60,000 views on Snapchat, um, about 24,000, 25,000 followers on Instagram. It's since gone down since, you know, I don't, post anymore. Um Twitter like twenty, three thousand somewhere around there. And Facebook, I was never really that big on um using it like as a social media outlet, but I had a page there. And nothing really uh crazy numbers wise there. But I just like one day, uh the last thing I posted was an event I was doing in Boston. Um well I was brought on to be a part of this event. Like I was the face the influencer for the event. But um and I just looked and was like, you know what? I don't think I want to post anymore. Like I just just stopped, you know, I was like, you know what? This is kind of uh, mundane and it seemed pointless because social media had kind of be- social media has kind of become like a, a bragging ground for people like that feel like they have to show everything that they're doing. And Kellen used to say like, Oh, you know, you gotta get, gotta get uh, pictures and post it. Because if you don't post it now, uh, it didn't happen. And I was like, you know what? Then I want to just see if my life doesn't happen if I don't post that. You know what I mean? Like, and it's so funny to see how people change when you don't post anymore. Um, How people don't even really value sometimes taking a picture with you anymore just for the sake of memory. You know what I mean? Like, oh, are you going to post this? No. Oh, oh, all right. Like, they kind of get discouraged almost. And and in the reality of like living life and a full life has kind of been altered due to social media. And that's the part that I kind of like withdrew from. And I still obviously still post with business stuff and stuff like that. But on a personal level, it's like, man, you, you start to almost look and, and say people don't value life. They value posts about life um and so it's interesting to hear you be kind of on the flip side you're like yeah not at social media other than linkedin because i found that to be the most useful for entrepreneurship and now um so you don't i mean you won't necessarily feel that same feel that same sting i guess you'd say as i did kind of having that realization because you were already living a postless life essentially like on the on the social media side um so I, I I think it's going to be interesting to see, are you going to develop your personal accounts or are you like still like, no, nah, I'm not touching that.
2: Yeah. I don't know how far I want to go into that. I mean, I, right now I have no personal Instagram. I have no personal Twitter. I have a personal Facebook that I have friends on, but you know, the last mm-hmm. post I did was uh, I think Q3 or Q4 last year. And I got one comment on it from a friend that, I haven't talked to him in like three years and it literally said, dang, this guy's still on Facebook. You know, like <laughs> that, was, that was the comment I got on my last dang. Facebook post.
0: <laughs>
2: so, you know, I'm very much not on, on these things. Right. But that's why like my entrance into influence is going to be podcast, because I don't think I want to be doing all these videos, doing all these selfies and doing all these things like that. I just Mm -hmm. want to start having a a voice really. And that's, that's all. And I think that, I mean, I'll use social media to help promote that. Right. But, but not necessarily like put my full life online and I'm, I'm pretty far from deciding to do that. You know, that's not really in my pipeline right now. It's just, you know, pretty much my whole life. I didn't really give myself permission to have a voice or do have influence and now i'm like giving myself that permission so my my outlet's going to be this podcast
1: and i mean it when it comes to the the social media side of your podcast does that mean you're going to be like you'll create like a podcast instagram and twitter and facebook and you'll just use those or is it um you mean like hey i'm just gonna like i, I use social media how I, I guess i would say with um if you don't plan on maybe having like a podcast account at least
2: yeah, I mean, I locked in the the name for all the different social medias that I plan on using, or maybe one day in the, in the future, just lock in the name. Um, but pretty much, uh, you know, I'll do the, the basic stuff. I mean, my car dealership, I've acquired about 180,000 combined followers across the different mm-hmm. platforms um, since starting it. And, you know, I did all that organically without paid ads and just basically myself doing it. So like I've got experience mm-hmm. building some social presence and, you know, my main focus will just be the podcast. And then I'll like, you know, I'll probably post some clips to LinkedIn where I've got roughly like 500 connections and let like, you know, tap into that a little bit. I still haven't decided if I'm going to post it to my personal Facebook, which I barely, you know, maybe have a hundred people on there, 150. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably, probably just, Post some stuff on the different platforms just because some of the people I'm interviewing, um, they're on the different platforms. And if I've got the podcast episode on YouTube, let's say, and uh, I interview a YouTuber, then, you know, his audience that he could send my way would be predominantly YouTubers. So if the if the content's on their platform, then, you know, they can they can see see it there. And that's sort of the extent that I plan to use it.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely all right no that's i mean hey that's that's cool and i do want to say so like building um uh, you know uh your car dealership side and building that following i mean uh heavily attributed to like i mean there's a fanatic car industry right and people really like search for that type of content and and love that niche so i feel like that that definitely probably had like a, a heavy hand I'm not saying like i haven't seen your page so i actually want to go look for it um what is what is it
2: uh, it's called montu motors m-o-n-t-u okay, motors.
1: That's it. okay gotcha so i'll have to um, go check that out for sure but yeah i know car pages um because yeah and, like we we built like car pages we built gun pages we built uh, model pages and things like that and car pages uh car pages and video game pages always tend to do ridiculously well from an engagement standpoint and um you know a follower gaining like traction standpoint because like people if you're in that you're you're looking for that type of stuff to to keep yourself entertained and and uh kinda you know hobby or fanboy fan girl out on it right um yeah and yeah so now that's that's definitely unique so that'll be that'll be interesting i want to follow your journey just to see how how you uh you know utilize social media going from post list to to posting you know um so he does it well
0: ty he does it well if you look if you look at his page it's like (laughs) 70 something thousand followers and it's it's not bought it's not bought traffic um Man. So, um, and I and I'd say side note, it's in that text in our group chat. Um, you can just click on oh, okay. the link, uh, so the audience check. knows That's how sure. how I prep you guys. So say hey, <laughs> you um, we, we keep it, you know. You know but um, does it well, Jeremy? For not being on social media, do you do the car companies, the Montu Motors? Do you do that Instagram?
2: Yeah, yeah, that 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 goes to my phone, so if you needed to get me, you can PM me on there at least for right now. But yeah, I've, I've pretty much posted, it looks like I've got almost 1,900 posts on there, so I've posted yeah. pretty much all of them.
1: Nice. Okay. So, okay.
2: yeah, I've always been a behind-the-scenes person, you know, doing this stuff. Just anytime I was in the picture or I was in a video, I would edit myself out. I'd put a circle over my head or I'd, you know, take a piece <laughs> of video content out or you know, find ways to get my points across, which probably hurt me because, you know, it's less story if there's no one behind it. But, you know, I, I was mm-hmm. just a behind the scenes person and I intentionally stayed that way. Right. You know, that's that's funny. He said, you know, I put a circle over my face
1: or edit myself out. Like, that's that's ex- that's not extreme, but like you really wanted to make sure you're like, I am not I'm not there,
0: folks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you can probably see, like, this is my first time being interviewed on a podcast or something. Like, this is, I mean, I'm about, literally, like, about to launch my podcast, like, within the the next week. I've already done five interviews. But, like, you know, this is my first, if you publish this before I do, then, you know, this is my first, like, voice out there, pretty much. Oh,
1: wow. Wow. So, you're getting the, the exclusive, exclusive (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that. You know what? Because of that I, I I feel even more honored now knowing that like you you really are were well, were really behind the scenes and you really kind of did your your best uh efforts to stay that way. So, um I I want to say congratulations for, you know, hopping out the show. Uh, welcome um right. into that. You're definitely going to have an exciting ride and uh I just appreciate a lot about what I'm hearing from you, the insight, the the journey, like from young to, re- I mean, you're still relatively young. Like, do you mind saying your age?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm 31. I'll should be uh, 32 yeah. on the 25th.
1: Yeah. I knew you were like right around my age. So yeah, I'm 31 as well. So um, I like to say we're still young.
0: <laughs>
1: we're still
2: young. <laughs> yeah. Early 30s, so, still young.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you know, tons of uh, experience, Um, and and oftentimes, you know, people say, "Oh, they're young. They don't they don't know a lot yet." But um, it's it's no, there's a lot packed in there because you know the journey just started so early. So now, what is the? Obviously, we know the podcast is the next step. I mean, you found kind of your your sustainable living situation. You're going after your passion now. Um, within the podcast, what is, what's, is there an ancillary goal in that? I know you want to tell stories and, and find out people's whys, but, um, are you hoping to find something more fulfilling in doing that? Are you hoping that, um, it branches out into something a little bit bigger, um, or, or is there like a book in there somewhere? What, what's, what do you believe the next thing is, um, with taking that step?
2: Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much going into that relatively blindly. Yeah, um, you were know, at the podcast convention, so you know that a lot of people talk about how podcasting can open doors and unexpected doors at that. So I'm just sort of I have a narrow-minded goal of just hitting having a certain number of interviews before I lift my head and look up and see what to do next, and that's sort of how I'm I'm treating it. Uh, as far as like a book and things like that, I don't currently have any plans. It's mostly just, a, you know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty extreme introvert and hiding behind the scenes type of person. And now I'm doing the other extreme of creating a podcast and making a putting my voice out there. And I think there's a lot of people out there that could relate. So as, you know, I grow through the journey, maybe there's some people that want to watch as I figure that out. And also my guests on the show are going to be People that already have influence or are already making a living influencing and you know learning from them and building a community there so I've already been able to connect with some people in that community um, which by the way I'll just shout out for the the younger entrepreneurs out there if if you're looking to start a podcast a, a big thing to consider is the type of community you want to surround yourself by because the podcast will open doors for you and for me I narrowed my two communities to either entrepreneurship or influencers. And the reason I chose influencers is because, one, it's this journey I'm bat- I've always been battling, but then uh, two is um, – okay, I just lost my train of thought. I <laughs> Oh yeah, um, I, I find that for, for my businesses, I'm I'm I care more about impact than money, and I can look at a lot of decisions I've made in the past that are like that. And for entrepreneurs, I find that it's not true all the time, but oftentimes the the main driving factor is money and freedom. Whereas influencers, they are driven by something else, and that's what I like to try to discover and share and put it out there.
1: All right. I like it. I like it. So now, before we we wrap up, um, I want to just give the opportunity for um, Kel to ask uh, ask his final closing question or closing remarks. Um So, Kel, what do you, you got something for us?
0: Well, I just want to thank Jeremy for coming on and sharing that story. I think a lot of people will be able to relate and like i often say everybody has at least one book and one movie in them so you don't have to know what it is right now but just write jot down stuff and you know you'll eventually say wow somebody needs to read this and so (laughs) you know and 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 while you're you know working remote i i just would would like to know um you know, since you're working remote, because I don't want to give people the idea, like, you know, he doesn't do anything. He set this up, and now he kind of just sits back and, you know, watches the water in, in Florida. Um, what? Do you, how, how How? much time do you put in your business, and are you always constantly working on something new? or you know, are you, you know, what, what's your, your, your free time look like for the, for the people?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, at this point, I've gotten the car dealership to be relatively low from a time commitment standpoint. I mean, you guys manage social media, so you know you can schedule stuff out and things of that nature. Um, so I have pretty much just manage the, the books or, or the accounting aspect and the social media aspect of the business uh, remotely and then just like put fires out. And then every once in a while, I'll fly in and make sure that everything's going well at the shop and taken care of and make sure that I get a bunch of more media to use to to then be able to be posting. So it's it's not significant, but I am always working on something and, and thinking about what's next. And you know, I've dabbled in cryptocurrency. I've got a ten foot shipping container with forty computers with eight GPUs apiece, so three hundred and twenty graphics cards mining twenty four seven and that's just sitting in my warehouse. Um, you know, I thought that maybe we could sell those to like companies or people that need to use electricity or have surplus of electricity to like, you know, get some cash out of it. Um, Also looking into doing an STO, like security token offering. So I've been talking a lot with uh, accounting firms and the SEC to figure out that whole process because right now, as of uh, my knowledge, no one's done a Reg tier two A plus token offering. Um, So we're just sort of going down that that rabbit hole but it's sort of like a side project and so there's always like little side projects like that and then launching my own podcast on the side but i try to not get distracted too much um that's something i learned in the past that uh is important like don't don't distract yourself and go chase something else until you have whatever you have now set up to let you do that so you know the several years I didn't let myself distract myself away from the car dealership because I knew if 50% of my energy went away, then it wouldn't be sustainable to to where it is today. But now I've got, you know, an extra X number of hours every week that I can allocate to these other opportunities and dabbling to things to explore options. And, and I, li- I like having that kind of flexibility. And as far as like personal, I like immersive hobbies like last year. I, I started scuba diving and I, I got 50 dies last year. I got a season pass to a local hole in the ground and just went and dove there a bunch. Uh, so I just like immersive hobbies as far as uh, personal entertainment goes.
1: All right, awesome. And then uh, my final ask is something that I like to ask of everyone um, is what charitable, philanthropic, non-profit give back are you currently doing or will you be doing given uh your success and um trajectory in your life what are like one or two either you're, you want to do or you're currently doing
2: um well i'm not really current doing currently doing anything because well, we haven't talked about it but i pay myself very little like i reinvest okay. everything in my business um, so I'm actually on a, a salary of like 35 grand right now, like oh, paying wow. myself very little, and okay. and then reinvest everything in the business. Like last year, I paid more in taxes than I had in salary. So it's just how I like to run things, to because I'm bootstrapped and I need I need access mm-hmm. to capital. So personally, I feel pretty poor all the time, um, mm-hmm. but I know that I've got the money in, in my businesses. Uh, so right. I'm not doing anything much right now, but I guess I could see myself doing something like Tyson's doing where he's helping other entrepreneurs or maybe right. even help nonprofits from a strategy standpoint. Um, I've, I've traveled a lot to Asia and a lot of poor areas, and it is a feeling to go there and see the level of impact you can have with relatively little uh, need of giving. Um, or capacity. So maybe something along those lines, uh, you know, somewhere in Africa or Asia or Southern America at some point, whenever I have a little bit more freedom and and access to capital. But right now my head's a little bit, you know, narrow focused and I don't feel like I've got a wedding coming up. So I've been trying to like make that work with my, with my budget you know so
1: okay yeah personally i mean early congratulations
2: by the way early congratulations
1: on that (laughs) thanks no i i like i like i like what you said i like your transparency and your honesty um because i know we we all uh have been there or are there who are listening and know the the struggle of paying yourself little to keep uh you know to grow right bootstrapping it and and being there, um, and that's the mark of a true entrepreneur, I think. So, uh, I appreciate that side of it because a lot of the glamour gets talked about, and not a lot of the grit. So, um, so I, I do want to thank you for for that honesty. And um, and then I like the fact that you like what I'm doing. So, definitely offline, um, I think we we can have a conversation about some of that stuff because it's super simple to do, and it's more. More of a little you know ninety minutes a week to help a business um or or if if you can't give ninety minutes a week ninety minutes every other week, whatever, but it's relatively easy to just give some advice from your perspective and um you know problem solve because that's what most entrepreneurs do they problem solve and that's what most entrepreneurs need help with problem solving so <laughs> um, so that's really uh really the major push on it but um, I do want to thank you again um jeremy for coming on and um before you go let people know where they can find obviously the, the car site we did mention it before but um also you did say you reserve your social media names for your podcast so let people know um where they can find you uh on both and uh, support either way
2: yeah um well, as of talking right now, the podcast is pre-launch, but it should be launching within the next week. And I've already done five interviews. Uh, that's probably the best way to find me. So it would be to go to www.yinfluence.com. W-h-y-influence.com, and if you go there before I launch, then just uh, subscribe to the newsletter. The The form works and I'll shoot you uh, an email when, when I go live and uh, you know, I'll be sharing my origin story in episode zero and then I'll be launching with the first three episodes. Um, I've got a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer and another YouTuber that will be the, the first three episodes. And I did talk to Philip, So he's, he's episode five, um, from the okay. advisor show TV. Um, so nice. yeah, that's probably the best way to find me. All right. All right. Awesome.
1: And, um, and thank you again. And, um, Best luck on uh, all your journeys and endeavors.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: So I think this is a good place to stop our dialogue for this episode and allow you, the listeners, to join the conversation and keep the dialogue going with us online.
2: You can do so by visiting our social media at Facebook, Diversified Game Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter, Game Diversified